Hi, welcome to the Givergy podcast. I'm Ben, Givergy's COO, and for those of you who don't know who we are, we're fundraising experts who provide fundraising technology and consultative advice to organisations looking to raise more at events and online. 2020 is a very special year for us as we're celebrating 10 years since we started supporting charities and we have helped to raise over 550 million US dollars across the UK, Canada, USA, Hong Kong and Australia. We're excited to share our fundraising best practices, tips and tricks through this medium. So sit back and enjoy the show. Now, today's episode is going to be looking at six ways that you can work for Gala. In recent weeks, we have been sharing lots of advice for fundraising during COVID-19 through online campaigns and virtual events. But now that we've actually done quite a few virtual events, we thought it'd be good to actually talk through them, which is why I've invited a very special guest, which is Sherry, owner of Red Apple Auctions, who is joining me all the way from Virginia in the USA. How are you doing, Sherry? I am doing well. And hey, happy birthday. You're turning 10, huh? 10, absolutely. turning 10. <laughs> 10 long years, but it's been, it, it, it's been amazing. Um, but how, how's it going in Virginia? It's going really well. We are in the process of starting to open up in certain areas for the summer. So we'll see how that progresses. Uh, there's still a lot of concerns, of course, with the virus and how it's affecting events and what's going to be happening for the rest of the, the year and even into spring 2021. But it's also a, a very inv- in innovative time. So a lot of people are interested in kind of learning more, seeing what the possibilities are. So, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, no, and I couldn't agree more. I think, like we're doing this podcast, it's the the landscape has completely changed, and everybody's learning new tricks and trying so many different ideas. And I've been I've been following you as well on social media. I can see you in your setup with your green screen and wearing an amazing dress. So you've completely pivoted to online. I yes, it was one of those things that I have to say personally, I very much enjoy learning. And so from the standpoint of diving in and getting my feet wet, I was right on that. I was happy to do that. But I owe a lot to the folks out on the West Coast, because certainly here in the United States, it hit the West Coast the first and they had to pivot very quickly. And watching all of those events really turned it around for me to understand what was going to work within uh, my client base and what I liked, what I liked, what I didn't like. And I know we're going to get into some of that here. And it's evolving every week. Every week it's evolving and we're getting new ideas and new concepts and, and new events that we even, as you know, uh, just chatting here a little bit, have figured out that there's some things that are happening that we don't each know about. So yeah, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. Absolutely. It's a moving beast. <laughs> but we're all, we're all kind of adapting. I'm ready um, to moving beast. <laughs> absolutely. So before we go through them all, it'd be good to just find out a little bit more about you, Sherry, as well. So especially for our audience, so they know who you are. So how long have you been in the fundraising sector? You know, Ben, I guess with every business, it was it was a little bit of an evolution. Uh, so I had come out of the corporate sector and had decided to get my feet wet in auctions because I had thought it would be fun to learn how to talk fast. And in the United States, still at, a, at many fundraising events, you will see a faster talk, not as fast as what you might imagine, like cattle auctions or estate sales, but there is a bit of a patter to the, the talk. And I had thought that it would be fun, not from a fundraising 
perspective or, or really just a nonprofit at all. I was just interested in learning how to talk fast like an auctioneer. And so I had was working at General Electric at the time a division of GE here in the, the Washington, D.C. area, which is where I live. And I did a Google search to see about auctioneering schools. And lo and behold, there are such a thing as auctioneering schools here in the States. And in the state of Virginia, it's required that you go to auctioneering school before you can even get a license. So mm-hmm. I found uh, an auctioneering school that was located in Missouri, which is close to where I grew up. Uh, it's in the middle of the, the country. And I thought, oh, this is going to be perfect. It's in Kansas City. I have a lot of old friends from college who live in Kansas City. I'm going to fly out to Kansas City. I'm going to go to auction school for one week. I'm going to have cocktails with all of my friends at night. And during the day, I'm going to learn how to talk fast. And I'll probably never use this skill, but it's going to be great. And so I enrolled in auction school. And lo and behold, if they didn't move it, and the, the school was actually held in St. Louis, not in Kansas City. So I didn't get to see any of my friends. We didn't have cocktails. And I, I spent a week at this hotel in outside St. Louis learning how to talk fast. And so from there, I came back to my home and I thought, you know, there was a speaker at auction school who talked a little bit about fundraising events and nonprofit events. And it really grabbed my attention because at that time, at GE, I was planning corporate events. I was doing their sales training events. I was doing the, the, when we have our big sales getaways every year to reward our top sellers, the management meetings, the holiday party. I was doing that. And so I thought this would be kind of interesting to apply what I already know from planning events into the nonprofit sector. So came back to Virginia, started to volunteer on a number of different committees just to understand what was involved, not from the auctioneering standpoint. I wasn't doing that. I was just in the committee trying to understand how these events came together. And uh, from that, eventually grew the business. So when I went to auction school was probably 2008, I think it was. And by the time I was kind of really ramped up, it was probably around 2012 in that time frame. Yeah, a little, I'm a little bit right. older than Givergy. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Apple Auctions is just a little bit older. You're I'm your big older. sister. Your big sister. Yeah. You're my little brother. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And... So you've been actively, actively doing it for around eight years, as in following the training and then setting the business up. So to say 2012 to 2020. Oh, wait, 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 where am I? Where am I? Let me think about this. I left, I left GE in 2000. No, so I must have been, I'm, I'm backing up here. I'm, I messed up on my own dates here. 15 years, 2005. So 2005 is when I would have gone, gosh, this is horrible. 2005 is when I actually launched the business. So it would have been 2003-ish is when I would have gone to to auction school. 2005. I'm screwed up on my dates here. But 20 when I looked back at my computer, I'm getting ready to get a brand new computer here. We were talking about that. I'm getting upgraded on a lot of my systems. And the last folders that I have content for was 2012. And I think that's why it was stuck in my head. So it's been about 15 years. 15 years. But I started a little bit before that. I just wasn't doing much. Right. Understood. Yeah. And, and just so everybody knows as well, what is it that you actually offer to charities as well from, for, from a Red Apple point of view? There's consulting and then there's the actual on-site auctioneering services. The on-site auctioneering services is, I guess, what most people see at the events. And that would be how a lot of those referrals come in. But I'm also a big believer in education. And a lot of that started because when I did come back to Virginia and started to volunteer on these auctioneering committees, 
one of the first things I recognized was that there is a lot of rework that's done every year. The, the, the volunteers might change. There's not a lot of education. And so I felt like oftentimes in these meetings, there was a sense of direction that was provided haphazardly. Case in point, a board member might walk in and say, hey, we were at this huge charity across town and they did X, Y and Z. I think you need to do that, too. That may or may not be appropriate for that event. For that nonprofit, it may be a much smaller nonprofit. They may have different goals for their gala. And just to have someone who walks in and kind of says, take this direction is not necessarily the best fit. But because they don't have a lot of education or experience, you tend to be listening to those people. And so at that time when I was volunteering, I thought, you know, one good way that, that we could stop just drifting with whatever some board member or some influential person says, maybe we should actually learn how to plan these events properly. And it came, it came from some training I had at GE, which was whenever you plan an event, the first question you need to ask yourself is why are you doing it? Why are you planning this event? And in the case of some nonprofits, you might say, well, it's fundraising, but that's simply not true. Some of these events are, are planned because it's the celebration of the end of a capital campaign. In some of these events, the primary focus is really to honor somebody who's been a big donor or been instrumental in helping maybe the organization get founded or, or really get their legs. In some cases, the reason we're doing these galas is tied to the fact that they are getting ready to um, celebrate volunteers. I had a, an event in Hawaii I worked with with a couple of years. It was primarily about celebrating the volunteers. It was not necessarily about raising money. So I think that the first thing you need to look at is why are we having this event? And then you grow from that. Sure, there might be fundraising involved as part of the components, but it may not be the primary purpose. So once we understand why we're doing it, then we can really establish what's the best approach for making this. You know, what do we do? Do we invite in a lot of entertainment? Do we not invite entertainment? Do we bring in a big name speaker? Do we not bring in a big name speaker? So from that, I started, uh, that's when I really started to start the education piece. So to get to your, to make a long story short here on what, what do I offer? That education piece is a big part of it because I teach about raffles and games and, and volunteer management and technology and live auction, best practices, procurement, audience development. All of that is part of what goes into it. So by the time we're actually on site doing the event, 90% of that work has been done, but we've trained those people, those volunteers and that staff, the idea being that they are then better prepared so that when a board member or when someone walks in and says, hey, I think we need to hire that big named band that they used at this event across town, the nonprofit can say, well, that's not our focus. You know, that's not really where we are. We've got a plan. We're working our plan. And they know why they're doing our event and the best ways to get there. That happens through education. So a lot of that work that I do is consulting leading up to it and then doing the event as the auctioneer, MC, host, whatever you want to call it on site. So that's kind of my take. So it's kind of like, it's like you said, it's, you can either go down the auction route, but you can also have the all encompassing services, which is real like strategy. Really, like you said, understanding the event and really, really, really supporting them. Because I, I, I've met loads of charities over the last couple of years. And so many times, the same as you just said it, where I've said to them, like, what are you actually, what are you raising money for this year? Or what are you, and they're like, oh, well, you know, we've been doing the event for 10 years. Just, we just do it. And you're like, yeah. no, there should always be an aim and a strategy or what you're trying to get from it or what you're going to try and communicate across. So I, I totally relate to that. And I think a lot of charities sometimes can forget that, that you need that message first before you then go, what are we actually going to do? That sets your plan, doesn't it? That sets your plan. Yeah. If you know why you're why you're doing the event and it's OK to change it. I've had some events that really this was a, a party for 
someone who is a big donor and they like to have a big party every year and invite their friends. That literally can be the purpose of it. And then the fundraising is wrapped around that. So it really helps to make a decision. If you know that fundraising is number one, you're going to make certain decisions. If you know that, in fact, this is meant to be more of a celebratory event for some other thing that's going on in your charity, then you'll make other decisions. But Understanding your focus is is key. So I love that consulting and strategy piece of it. That's something that I'm I kind of enjoy sometimes uh, sometimes more than the actual event because it allows you to really influence what's going to happen on site. Yeah, no, and you and you can tell you do, and I'm I'm sure you've supported so many charities to kind of to kind of get them to where they need to be in terms of the event side as well. So we're going to move along then, because it turns out that me and Sherry did a bit of prep before our call. We started with four ways, and then we've now ended up with six ways to do virtual gala. And like Sherry just said, I also learned about some new ones that I've never even knew that people were doing. But I think what's amazing with this whole landscape that we're going through right now is that the innovation and the ways that people are finding to fundraise is, is truly, truly epic. And I do think, my personal opinion, it's going to change the way that we fundraise, I think, for the long term. So that's why, you know, I think it's so important for us to have this podcast and to to kind of just give you more of a like a review, because from both of us, we've both had experience of delving into these six different types of virtual galas or we know about them. So the whole aim of it is that we're going to talk through it, explain what we mean by it as best as we possibly can, and also give you our opinions and talk about the pros and cons. So hopefully it just gives you a little bit of information so you can take it away and it might help you for when you're considering if and when to do um, your own virtual event. So the first one that I'm going to start with is what we're naming as a produced live stream event. Now, what I mean by that is where your donors would go onto a platform and they would be watching a feed which would be highly produced. So it looks like a super professional kind of show where, you know, it might have camera crew. It's, it's looking at someone that's kind of on stage. And throughout that, let's say an hour long, it, it's a produced professional event. And obviously that comes with its own different type of budget. Would you would you agree, Sherry, if I explain that right? I agree. And I would also say that this is probably the easiest event to find on YouTube. If people are searching for virtual galas, my guess is that what they're going to see most often is this produced live stream event. The cameras focused on the studio. That studio might be a school. That studio might be the nonprofit headquarters. That studio might be an outdoor tent. It might be the actual AV company's studio. But the idea is that then that's broadcast out via live stream, maybe on Facebook, maybe on YouTube, maybe on Vimeo, maybe on all three. And meanwhile, people are bidding on some other source that might be their phone, that might be a tablet, but they're using the software to bid. It's got great production value. It looks well lit. It's got great sound. You can see everybody. Camera angles change. Oftentimes there's a picture in picture mode. So you can see maybe the person on stage down in a small window, whereas on the large screen, they've got maybe a larger shot of the stage or a, a, a background of the amount being raised or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Easy, no, easy to find. yeah and I, you know what? I've, I personally watch quite a few of these now. And I think, I think that, like you just said, it, it looks very, I would say the word sharp and, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, this is really quite cool. And it also feels like a bit, like a little bit like a show. And, I, and I've really enjoyed some. I think the things that I've personally felt with some of the ones that I've seen 
is sometimes you can forget that you're fundraising because you're you watch it for you watch it for a while. And I was watching one the other night and I was a good 45 minutes in and I thought all of a sudden I thought, oh, God, they're actually fundraising. And then there was no there wasn't enough prompts only because I was watching people in interviews. I was watching the kind of host. But there wasn't that much visual thing on screen for the fundraising I found. What, 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 what's your thoughts on it? I would agree. And that also to me in the example that you gave, it may have been tied as well to the timeline that they probably should have been prompting people to give a bit earlier on or throughout the show in order to remind people why they're there. Yeah. The TV show concept is, is really good from the standpoint of if you want to show it later. I do like that angle of it, that once you have it, if you've done it really well, that can live for a long time in your social media feed or that can live on your website and really be a nice feature. It shows you like the, the, the nonprofit and at its best, if you will. But you're right. If you're not accomplishing the goal of the fundraising, then there's a problem there. The other piece that I think a lot of people would have a question about then is the cost. What does it cost to do that, you know, to bring people in? So the the production value is high. The cost is going to reflect that a bit because you're going to have a a technician come in and an audio engineer. You've probably got a production manager as well at a minimum. That's three people managing this. You're also just in light of the, the whole reason we're talking about virtual galas here really is tied to the virus, corona. And so from that standpoint, what are you doing? You're bringing people together in a studio. Is that a smart move? Well, you know, it depends on your sensitivity and and concerns and so forth. But you by virtue of that event, you must bring people together. So you're bringing a small crew together from the production side. You're bringing two, three people together from the nonprofit side. You may have an MC auctioneer host. You may have a couple of people from the auction software company managing that. So you really are bringing people together in in a format that um, may or may not even be legal, depending on where you live. Yeah. Now, and then obviously, I, you know, totally agree. It's it's a real tough one that you've got to weigh up. I suppose, you know, if you've got, I, I saw one where there was two presenters through most of the, the event and there was one camera guy and you could tell that all three were social distancing. But then I've also seen some really highly choreographed ones and you can, you can tell to think, wow, to pull that off, that, that's like a TV. It's like, it's like, like you just said, it's so you could put on your website and be really proud of. But I think, I think it's a really good idea. I think my personal concern is, you know, for most charities, I think that outlay, like you just said, is a fear because we're going through what we're going through. It's really tough times. Everyone's locking down and going, you know, let's hold all payments. Let's do all these different things. So I suppose kind of I can tell already speaking to some people I've spoken to recently, taking that jump to go to the virtual world is a bit scary. And we to- I mean, I totally get it. But then having to go, OK, so we need to go to that level. But should we then go and invest X amount? to go and do this studio event and will it be a success? I can tell that seems to be a fear point for a lot of charities at the moment because this seems to be like the creme de la creme of the ones that I've seen. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, agreed. You know, uh, actually, there's another thing, too, that we should we should let listeners understand if this is the first time they're really delving into this. What's happening is that you're watching this on your computer at home and you've been given a link to watch it. It might be on the Facebook. It might be on YouTube. It might be, you know, wherever it is. So you're watching this. Now, as people are asking you to donate, you have to go to a different device to make that donation. So that is where you're utilizing your phone or a tablet where the auction software is to make your donation. So if they're doing a good job, now Ben just gave an example where maybe they weren't doing a good job of asking for the donation. But if they're doing a good job of asking for the donation, they then have to turn and say, 
go to your phone or go to your laptop to, or another laptop or a tablet to make that donation. So that is also the two-step process. You may lose some people in that process too because you're asking them to take another step to actually complete the transaction, if you will. And certainly if you're trying to do, we saw this very early on with some of them, they attempted to do an actual live auction and that didn't fly because of the delay. So if I'm on the screen and I'm projecting through a live stream, right, I'm on the stage and I'm asking for a, a bid that it's a 30 second, well, 20 to 40 second delay before the viewers see that in their home. So by the time when they get to their phone and make a, a, a bid, that is delayed from what the person on the stage sees. So you, because of that, that's where they started to shift. And instead of doing, trying to mimic what you see in a live event, they started to say, you know what? Instead of even, we're not even going to try this live action. We're just going to say, go bid on your phone. It's a great item. It's going to close on your phone. That item is going to close in the auction software. We'll tell you about it here on the stage, but we're not going to try to do a live actual bidding. That's, it's just getting too complicated. We're starting to see some great changes in the software that will enable that to happen. And we'll get to those in a moment. But that's that's something that you're that the listeners should understand right now is that there is kind of a two step process to making the donation. Yeah. And, and you know, and you know, just just to finish this, this particular one off, you know, I watched a, I watched another virtual. I've watched so many, by the way. <laughs> I watched another virtual gala the other day and the introduction into the technology was really strong. And it was it was a visual that came up on screen. You know where to go. You knew how to get on your mobile or whichever device you wanted to use. But they kind of they made it a thing. And then I and it also made you realize they actually want me to give. <laughs> so there is that I have I've, I've seen plus and minuses because we're all trying to find our, our feet with it. But the thing like you've just said, I think I've seen ones as well where there is this delay or, you know, go to this item and we'll talk about it later. I think the only thing it, it loses is that that's what we used it earlier is, is celebrating People do like to to be celebrated and go, you know, Ben just bid X amount of money and have their name in lights. And we all know there's a lot of show offs around, especially the people who give in fundraising events. So that's the only thing that I thought. I thought I wish there was a way of bringing that more like real time. That that would be my final comment on that one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Produced live stream event number one. And we're kind of making these up as we go, aren't we? These titles, we're just creating them as we go. So for anyone, (laughs) if you go search. On YouTube or Google for produce live stream event, heaven knows what you're going to find. But Ben and I are just creating the names on the fly to help break down the industry. Absolutely. We're part of the branding team. Yes. <laughs> so, um, the next one we're going to talk about is a live virtual gala event. So I'm going to try and explain it um, again as easy as I can. This is a, a way where you would use a platform that would be able to have a host that is live and streaming and is interactly inter- interacting directly with the guests in terms of, like I was just saying about being celebratory, you know, as bids are coming through or live auction or whatever you're kind of doing on, on screen, this is a platform that would allow you to do that simultaneously at the same time. And the only other way I would explain it as well is you're tr- it's a platform or platforms that are trying to recreate your normal gala event. So where you normally would have, you know, your introduction, you would do, you know, your silent auction, your live auction, your pledge. You might even do a bit of entertainment, that kind of thing. It's kind of creating an event, but trying to find a way to bring the audience in would be my explanation. I mean, Sherry, you've just seen an example of it. Would you say that's 
<laughs> yeah, to be clear, I have not participated in one of these personally, but this is, I think, emerging. Would that be a right emerging technology? We've seen it, but it, it isn't commonplace yet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it is something that we, we are about to offer because what we did is for, from a Gibbergy point of view for the last two months, um, sorry, last three months while we were going through this, we had a massive surge of everyone coming to us going, what should we do? <laughs> we were like, well, let's find out ourselves. So we kind of went on this massive discovery session. I mean, every country trying to find out the best options. And we watched so many of these galas, but we were unable to find one that, that, that did that, where you could have that host. You could have a leaderboard, for example, or, a you know, a, a, that kind of fundraising platform and actually like make it like an event. And like, great, you know, Ben's just bid or Sherry's just bid five thousand dollars. Amazing. Can I get another bid? And that's that's why we've tried to create this new platform that we are offering Give As You Presents. But there are, I'm sure, other platforms doing this. But like you said, Sherry, there isn't. I haven't really seen anybody, any other platforms that have done it in that way yet. I agree. And from for our listeners, I think that uh, what I've seen is the delay is insignificant. Right. So when we were talking about the other form, there was a big delay, made it hard to do anything. That's not true in this case. No delay. I also it's a shelter in place, is it not? I mean, that would be the it's being run by people that are in their respective homes. Would that be correct, Ben? There's no reason for people to get together to operate this. Absolutely. That, that's what we're trying to create this because you, you've got the studio version, which you, which, you know, you could actually do with this platform still as well. But this is designed to be as well a little bit more cost effective as well as trying to protect people. Cause you might have a host in like, like we are, you know, I'm in, I'm in the, in, in Birmingham in the UK, you're in Virginia in the USA. It's trying to have a platform where you could switch to different hosts or auctioneers or, or different people throughout the event. But yes, they're kind of at home. Is, is the idea that we're thinking. Right. So for those in the United States, I don't know if this term is being used elsewhere, but when we're saying shelter in place and everybody is supposed to stay in their respective homes, you're not supposed to gather, then this would offer that type of a, a solution. It does look slick. I, I would be uh, eager to try something like this because from the visual angle, you see the a small window where you've got your MC auctioneer, someone speaking, but then the left hand and a chat area so people can interact via a chat form. And that's always that's become very popular, too, in these virtual galas as, as people writing comments of support of the nonprofit or, in fact, egging on their friends to bid again or to donate. And then on the left hand side of the screen, you're actually able to see either uh, slides that are advertising the auction items. You could see the gauge thermometer uh, platform. Yeah, like that thermometer and totalizers and all those things. Exactly. So it's all integrated. So instead of someone watching the show on the laptop and then then doing something else elsewhere, they're, they're able to see the entire production in a multi-window format on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, and that's a perfect example. And, you know, and something, just a bit of advice or a top tip. What we'll do is uh, when we when we share the podcast and we share our blogs, we'll also share a link to so you can see a, a preview of what that kind of looks like. We've learned a lot about live streaming because of filming this demo over the last four weeks. And my advice is is that sometimes when you go really high tech, that's where you you see these crazy delays. And I know you mentioned earlier, Sherry, you know, there's one where it's like 25 to 30 second delay. We managed to get our delay down to just just shy of two seconds at one point. And it's what it is, is when you use services like, you know, like Zoom, Blue Jeans, or even YouTube Live, you can control the latency. 
So I'm not going to go into great detail, but there is a lot of settings that you can change that just means the quality, I think, is absolutely fine for what you're trying to achieve. But it just means the delay is so minimal, which is what you're trying to achieve so that no one really notices. You know, let's just say you saw a pop up on a leaderboard and it said Sherry bid five grand and me 30 seconds, like, <laughs> like ages later going, great, well done, Sherry, you've just bid. So there's, there's lots of things I think we're all, this is why I think it's encouraging to get people to keep sharing these tips on what you learn on streaming because that's, that's the thing that everyone's trying to crack as well. Mm-hmm. What are you calling this? What is Givergy calling this? Well, it's not confirmed, but we're thinking of possibly calling it Givergy Presents. Oh. Um, and that, that is the full, fully integrated platform in one area. So Givergy Presents. <laughs> number two. That was number two. All right. That number number two. two. So the next one I'm quite excited about because I've never heard of this one. And I've just I got to sort of see a very quick screenshot of, of this. So. It's a conference call style live event. And I can't explain it because <laughs> Sherry's going to because he's just explained it to me for the first time. So tell us all about this type of system. OK, so we have been doing this quite a bit for certain sizes of events. Uh, primarily, we'll say if you generally had 350 to 400 people at your live event, then it, or fewer then this is really where we would roll this out is you have the option of doing this. It is on for is if you've participated in in Zoom webinars or Zoom meetings, you will start to have a sense of what's going on in Zoom webinars. Only certain people can be seen on the screen and that's whoever's presenting. But if you've used Zoom meeting, there is something called grid view where you're able to see everybody else. And if there's six people in the meeting, you see six people. But if there's 200 people in the meeting, you can see 200 mini screens on your screen showing everybody else and where they're dialing in from the Zoom meeting. So okay. what we've seen done with the audiovisual companies that we've worked with is they're, um, although I'm saying it's a Zoom meeting platform, the reality is, is that it's more like Zoomzilla, right? They're taking Zoom meeting, but they're <laughs> boosting it up. And so we call it a Zoomzilla platform for, again, uh, I'm not a techie. I'm, I'm learning more as you are, Ben, just by virtue of having to. But without going into the full details, that Zoom meeting look that you've seen perhaps in your meetings is what's happening for the gala. Okay, so how do we do this? We have all of the screens that as people are logging in, of course, we mute them out. So we don't want 150 logins here talking. So we've muted them out, but they can see each other. And the, the, the big ad for this is that it's, it's allows people to connect in a visual way and not just in a chat way. So the, what we've talked about thus far is really people are being able to communicate with what, one another through chat and write in comments. This kind of adds the visual component as well, because now uh, I can see other people who are participating in that gala all 150 logins. And the way that I've seen this utilized effectively is that with regards to the, um, the signage, like one of the, the virtual party boxes that I showed you, Ben, they had included in it not just party props, which you might see for at a photo booth where people can have top hats and masks and mustaches and so forth. They included that in their party box so that people could have fun if they wanted to and print those out and cut them out in construction paper and, and show it off. But they also had, for instance, thought bubbles that you might see in a cartoon 
that above someone to indicate what they were saying. Well, people could print out thought bubbles and write on there. I love, you know, this nonprofit or I love the school or they are able to to show that in their camera and other people can see it as well. So you're kind of scrolling through. You see everybody that's happening. You're chatting over there. And that's the other. Oh, this is another important component of this, too. The the chat, even though people are registering through auction software. So let's say that they have Givergy. I'm saying, hey, I'm having this great event. It's going to be happening in three weeks. Go over here and register. So they're going to go over to, we'll say, the Givergy platform or Givergy software. They're registering through Givergy. That ticket price might be zero dollars, but they're still registering. Yeah, okay. So through through the registration now, we have their email and we send them that link to the show. We're not broadcasting this on YouTube or it's a private closed virtual event, but we send the link and say, okay, you're invited at seven o'clock on Saturdays when we start. So when people show up, they're seeing each other, they're chatting in the window and the way that they bid is in the chat section. So when I'm doing the live auction, I might talk about the item and then I say the way that you're going to bid is you're going to write in your bid over in the chat window. So if you want to bid a thousand dollars, you put a thousand dollars over there. If you want to bid two thousand, you write two thousand dollars over there. And then I'm monitoring that chat window and I'm saying, all right, we've got Ben at a thousand dollars. Who's going to take him out? We're looking for a fifteen hundred dollar bid. And so then people might write over there fifteen hundred. And I said, Tammy's in at fifteen hundred dollars. Come on, Ben, it's your turn. Let's get back ten thousand. We need you at two thousand now. And people will generally they'll write in their own bids. I take the first bid that I see no different than at a live event. So when I see multiple people with their paddles up, whoever I see is who we're going with. The same is true in the chat window. So that's how the bidding takes place. And then okay. the same is true for the fund to need. They write in their bids. If I want, if I say friends, we're at a thousand, who would like to make a thousand dollar contribution tonight and be a champion for a nonprofit. They write in a thousand dollars. The chat becomes the record of the auction. The clerk, the auction, the nonprofit prints that out, inputs it into the Givergy system or auction software system, and now those people are charged. Okay. It's a bit okay. old school in that sense, but it does allow for the the visual element is huge for the right event who who people are missing each other, they're social, they want to see each other. It's a good fit for them because they're able to be feel like, more like they're part of the community. Yeah, no, I understand that, and I think. It's also, I suppose, from a, from a cost point of view as well, it's a, it's quite a cost effective way to do because it's actually, like I said, it's about everyone. But really, it's probably not costing that much to produce it because it's, you know what I mean? It's the, like I saw in that example, it's, it's you as the host in the corner. You're doing the chatting, but I suppose as well, everyone's kind of entertained a little bit by each other. So it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. A, it's a cool, it's quite a cool concept. I like that one. Yeah. And just a, another thing that is sometimes goes into the virtual party box, too, is if people want to have a background, like something that is green screened, if you will, then that's oftentimes included, too. So very often when I'm projecting, I have a proper green screen, but other people just sit against a wall and they project onto it, maybe the background of the nonprofit or they project onto it the background of the school, whatever it is. And so that kind of helps add to the fun, too. Love it. All right. So that was our third one. Then we have three more. So we've got the next one, which is a pre-recorded virtual event. And again, to explain that, it's similar to I would say it's very similar to point one in terms of a production style event. But what it is, is that you tune in at a certain time, let's say, you know, 7 p.m. And you watch a show, but all of it has been pre-recorded. The ones that I've seen, I've seen no live interaction, really. 
it does make you think for a while that it is live to be to be fair and there was i've watched two and i've been like is it live or was that person just speaking to us so it's it's an interesting one but those are the, those are the two the, the, the examples i've seen have you seen the same Exactly. And you're right. Sometimes they'll trick you. And if you listen long enough, you'll figure it out. Where I notice that they figure I figure it out is that usually they'll have some pre donations. So maybe they've had some commitments at five hundred dollars or ten thousand dollars, whatever it is. So when it comes time for the fund to need or paddle raiser, whatever you might call it in your your neck of the woods, they invite people to make a donation and they say we've already had some great support from person A and person B who've stepped up at $5,000, you could join them at this level. Let's go to $2,500. And I'm like, oh, they're not taking live action there. They know that they have those two pre-commitments and they're thanking them on the screen, but they're not sitting there waiting around to see if anyone else joins them. They're moving on because it's pre-recorded. So that is good from the standpoint of control. If you're a control freak, and you want to know everything that's going to happen, I suppose the pre-recorded gala is the way to go because you will be able to edit out everything before you make it live. Nice. And it's just similar to that you know, TV show. Hey, join us at 7 o'clock on Saturday and be a part of our gala. But you're not really a part of the gala. Yeah, and you know what? The same is I and the ones that I've watched, I've really, really enjoyed them. But there was a point, and by the way, the reason I realized the first one I watched wasn't live was because it was it was also in the country that I'm in, in the UK, and the sun had set, and the and the the host, the sun was still out, and it was like really late at night, and I thought, oh okay, that's when I started to click. But there was another one I'd also realised, and the only thing that I found is I enjoyed it, but I lost the commitment, because once I realised it was pre-recorded, it was also quite long, and that was the only that's the only tip I would give to anyone listening is to try and keep them a bit more short and, and a bit more to the point. Because I've watched, watched one that was two hours, I've watched one that's an hour and a half, I've done one that's an hour and 15. But the ones that seem to be like 30 minutes to an hour, and they're like boom, 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 fundraise, fundraise, and like they, they do it in a really good way. Those seem to be the ones that have amazing results as well. Mm-hmm. But I just found, once I kind of realised it was pre-recorded, I was halfway through, and I actually walked away, and I kept going into different rooms, and it's because I really wanted to watch it for uh, for research. But then I thought, I wonder if the donors are like this as well. Because there's only so long you can be ent- entertained at home on your sofa. Right. And, like, and then you've got WhatsApp going on. You've got all the different things that are distracting you. So that, that would be my point. Like you just said, if you want real professional, you want control, you want it to look like a branded machine, brilliant. <laughs> but if you want to fundraise, I, I was worried about people getting disconnected. You you brought up two good points that I want to share with folks. Even when we're doing some of these other events, like the the first two, three that we mentioned here, if you have some pre-recorded content that you want to drop into that show, for instance, maybe you've got a board member who's going to make a toast, and rather than do a toast live, you'd rather just go ahead and have them do the a pre-recorded 30-second toast and drop that in. Make sure that they wear the same clothes that they're going to wear if it's a live event and shoot it at roughly the same time uh, of night and in the same room so that you don't have what Ben just described, whereby it's a you can tell that it's uh, off because of the lighting in the room or what they're wearing. That's the first thing. Um, the other thing is, too, the entertainment value, even in a pre-recorded event, 
people can still chat and I do advise the nonprofits to have somebody there to engage chat. It's only just by watching the show that you start to notice that, that they're not recognizing the chat. The people in the chat are recognizing the chat that is happening live, but you'll notice that the hosts on the screen are not commenting on any of the chat because that's, it was pre-recorded. So that's that, even if you're doing pre-recorded, make sure that when you show it at seven o'clock on Saturday night or whenever it is that you've got someone assigned there to engage people through the chat, because that's the only way that uh, your donors are really going to have a connection with you personally. So that's you know, good. Good advice, Ben, on that. Keeping it succinct and to the point. And I think, you know, just just to kind of find a comment on the pre-recorded side, I do feel after trying to find the best solution for our clients for the last few weeks, Pre-recording can actually work, but not for the whole event. I think it's like you just said, if you get a pre-recording, first of all, wear the same outfit. I found like in parts of ours, we, you could, there were some parts you could easily pre-record and it took away the pressure a little bit as well because, you know, you've got that one hour and, you know, I had one charity the other day, a, re- a real story. She normally has 200 guests attend and they normally raise about in, in dollars, US dollars, about $70,000, right? And she took a risk, like, they all, like a lot of charities are. She sent it out to the entire database <laughs> and she got 800 people watching and they raised 100, in, sorry, in US dollars, about $150,000. So they are, you can imagine, they, they're, it's a game changer for them. That is one of the advantages of these virtual events. Absolutely. Oh, you get more participation and, and ideally more money from it. Absolutely. And we're seeing it every day. We're seeing more people give. That's what, what, what one trend we're seeing as well is that pledging is really taking off where before you'd have, you know, we'd all, all fundraisers focus on the 20 percent, the 20 percent of the room that give. And what we're seeing a trend in now is you're still getting those great donations, but more people are giving because if you get the message right, everyone's more captivated at home. And they're a like at the events, they can be more distracted a little bit. More people are kind of giving. But I think the one thing when, when speaking to that fundraiser, the pressure is there. You know, you've got one hour. You've got to get it right. And I remember, you know, she said that 800 people all of a sudden jumped on. And she was like, oh, my God. So she's got really overexcited. But the kind of pressure of then controlling the streams and blah, 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 blah. And I, I listened and I thought, God, you know what? I think I'd pre-record some parts because they had entertainment in a different place. Like everyone was at home. So they had a singer in someone's house. They had the host in another house. And I just and when I when I when I looked at it and I saw the entertainment, I thought you could have easily pre-recorded that. And it would no, it wouldn't have changed it at all. I still would have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, long story, there are definitely some ways that you can take the pressure off yourself, and that would definitely be one of the advice I would. Yeah, give. I I think that even in any of these events that we're talking about, I think it'd be hard pressed to say that there's not at least some pre-recorded bits. Yeah. In in all of them, but in the in the when what, what we're labeling, of course, is pre-recorded. Is the whole show has been pre-recorded and is being distributed. But you brought up a, a couple of great points. First, with these virtual events, we're not really seeing tickets being sold. Tickets tend to be zero dollars, but because of that, you're able to invite more people, or more rather, more people are willing to come because it's free. So they may have supported your cause in the past, but they didn't want to support your cause to the extent of a two hundred dollar ticket to come. Right. Or maybe they're not located in your area. They want to support you, but they're not located in your area. Well, now you're able to attract a broader range. The other big thing here to keep in mind is your ticket price in the past went to cover things like food and venue costs. Guess what? You have dramatically reduced the costs of producing this event. So, yes, the tickets are free, but your costs to produce the events are minuscule compared to what they typically are as well, which is why we're seeing in many cases these events that are able to um, 
not only net more than their prior years, but in some cases gross more than their prior years too, which is what it sounded like happened with your your client that you just visited with the other day. And that's that's big. That's huge. Now, is this going to replace in-person events? No, I don't think it's going to replace it. There's there's an element there that people want to get together and always celebrate. So when it's safe to do so, people are going to go back to that. But don't discount a virtual event right off the bat because you're afraid of it or the technology seems too hard or or, uh, you don't think you're going to make money because that's just not what we're seeing. No, I totally totally agree. I think what this is going to do is, you know, when you look at a lot of events, I think when you look at your donor database, you only target a small percentage because, first of all, it might be the location. Then it can be, but a lot of it is the ticket price, and which I totally understand because, you know, your event costs so much money to be able to put this amazing thing on and the effort and all that kind of stuff. So you generally target a certain group of people or also corporates because obviously you know that they, they can give more, where... I think what will happen is after this is, you know, once we've moved into, you know, we can hug each other again <laughs> and the world's a bit normal. I definitely think that the events will come back. But I think that charities will think about, actually, we should maybe keep virtual galas to appeal to the whole database. And I, I think that's what we're going to see a shift. I think it's going to be both rather than just completely drop virtual. I think it will be, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a bit of the two, if you agree. Yeah, I, you know, I, as you're, as you're talking, I'm just thinking here that I think that a lot of the largest in-person events, the money primarily came from sponsorships. When I think about my biggest events, my million dollar events, my $800,000 events, they're not making that from the auction or the pledge. They're making that because they've got sponsors that are stepping up. Now, I'm wondering, and I think we're maybe still too early in the industry to know, but my thinking is that sponsorships might be trickier depending on how you sell it for a virtual event. Maybe, maybe not, but maybe. However, your ability to attract individual donors, which then you could perhaps develop into more major donors, is greater, right? And so that's that's one thought I had is, ooh, do virtual events maybe allow the opportunity to reach the common person, the individual versus the big corporate? That might be one thought. The other thing that is a, a bit I'm playing around with here in my head is that when we have in-person events, there's a certain style, a certain personality of person that likes to go to that event, right? They like to be social. They like to be entertained. They want that. And if they believe in your cause, they're going to follow you to that virtual format, at least for a year, they will follow you to that format. But the other element that the virtual format gets that the in-person event does not is the introvert. The person who likes you but does not want to go to an event, they don't like that stuff. They don't want to. That's just not their style. But they will participate in a virtual event, which is maybe why we're starting to see these larger numbers come through from an attendance perspective, because it's the introverts and the extroverts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Yeah. And and also the demographic, you know, the, the younger generations as well do want something different. That's, that's what we're always seeing. I think, you know, if you think about our social, the way we interact with social media, the things we all do nowadays, people do want to give, but they, they seem to want to give in different ways. And I might, I might be wrong, but you know, the events I, I attend a lot, I've attended so many events in the last however long he's been doing this. <laughs> um, and you know, the younger generation still aren't appearing that much at the events. They're still there, but they're also not giving that much where, what we've seen recently on these events as well is like you've not used them when you can see everybody. It's kind of the demographics are changing. I think a little bit different and more people want to get involved and not everyone wants to go to a gala or can, or can afford. So 
it's not it's, it's it's kind of attacking every every angle, but it's opening up to to probably a demographic that you've not been able to get before. Right. And and how how you choose to go about it or the different components that you link together to create it. Like one of one of my groups was very much wanting to create a social environment. They missed each other. They were social. That was their big thing. So part of what they incorporated into their event were Zoom rooms. Right. So afterwards, everyone could choose to go into which Zoom room they wanted to. The third grade class, the eighth grade class, you know, the alumni parents and they socialized. But I've got another group that's looking at doing the same thing. They have a lot of banks who support them and they're looking at creating tables at their event using zoom rooms so people could participate in a table and fundraise as a table almost to compete against others but also socialize before the program starts in a zoom room environment so i think a lot of these technologies can be linked together to create something that's unique for you and addresses your needs whether that's you know having some sort of a face-to-face via video component or competition or linking different ages. There's just a lot. There's a lot going on. It's it's evolving. It's endless. I'll quickly get this last point because we are, um, we're uh, running out of time because we've got so much to say to the pair of us. And one thing that we saw, which was really cool over in New York was where the charities were, were selling it like you've just done it kind of like a table. So because the restrictions are starting to, to lessen in, in different countries, and I think it was New York where you could have, let's say, five people over for dinner. It was, something, it was something like that. So for their top people, the 20 percent, they retargeted those. And they said, if you pay X amount of money, we'll actually send a chef to your home and he will cook and he'll do the whole thing. Or he or she will do all the whole thing. And on your TV, you'll be streaming the event and you can give. And what it was, they, they did that. They also could they also have the facility to do table um, leaderboards, so you can have different houses that are leading the way as in competing against each other. But then for the rest of the audience as well, they, they like you showed me earlier, they sent them a, a stay at home menu so that they could get involved. But I thought that's quite a, I think for, especially for the, the high net worth individuals that everyone always wants to target, that could be quite a cool option because I think having a luxury dining experience would be also able to give I just feel like it could meet so many needs that we all want. Do you, do you know what I mean? That's very cool. It, actually, that kind of gets into the hybrid thing hybrid. that I know we're going to talk about next, but or maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll talk about that. Okay. The, the, the hybrid events. Number we'll, we'll, five. What is this? Number five? Number five. Number, number five. The hybrid events. I'll give you an example of how this has come out. In Hong Kong, where we operate, they have moved forward the quickest in terms of relaxing the lockdown rules. So at first they were going to be delivering staff events, which they still are very, very soon. So we were like, brilliant. So events are coming back. But the government then put a restriction in place and actually said it needs to be 50 people. So what they have decided to do is a lot of the charities are going to invite 50 of their top people into a socially distanced room. And they're going to offer them a a superb gala exclusive evening. But they're going to live stream that event to the rest of the audience. And when we listen to this, I think that will probably be a way that a lot of charities in all of the countries we operate in might find their way to actually bring gala events as a phased approach in. So, yeah, does that that kind of make sense how that would work? Yes. I, I And I do have a client right now that's kind of looking at that format. What could possibly be done to kind of create this high end experience for a smaller group of people and then broadcast that out to the rest of them? I haven't participated in that yet. 
But I do think that you're right. It's going to be something we're going to see more of. Definitely. And our, our last one, which I've got to breeze over it, sorry, because of time, is another option where you have your fundraising website or your silent auction platform where the live stream is actually integrated. So let's just say you go to that normal platform, like the Gibbage platform or, or others, and you would see the auction items, but you would also see embedded the live stream, which might be for using different platforms. And we've seen, I've seen quite a lot of these, and I feel like, have you got involved with any of these, Sherry? No, I have not personally done one of these yet. Like you, I've probably seen some of them. And so it's it's utilizing technology, and it, it's probably one of those things that once you see it, then it's it's easier to than it is to describe it on a on a yeah. podcast. <laughs> but they have the live stream there. You do see the fundraising piece. It's not as slick, maybe. It's not yeah. as slick as what some of the more advanced versions are. Yeah, but I think I think as in fairness, I think it's it's a really good cost effective option as well. I think if you, I, from my, from, I've watched a lot, like, I've seen more of them than anything else so far. Because I think for, especially for a small to medium charity, it's, it's more of a, a way into virtual events. Because if you've got a really strong host, let's just say it might just be a single feed, and they're willing and they're, they're, they're absolutely happy to kind of interact with the audience because you can see the, you can see the platform, you can see the bids coming through. I thought it's quite a, a kind of fun and, and nice way to be able to do it. But I definitely think you need a strong host to maintain that because it's not like a show. It's just like that person talking and you've got to get the bid going on around them. Would be my, would be my view. You're, you're right. Here's, here's what I guess I, I, I sort of have a hesitation against on, on some of the ones that I've seen. And, and you're right. Maybe it's the person. It almost has a vibe of a commercial auction a little bit to me instead of a fundraising event. It's like, here's the item. Now we're going to sell it. Here's the item. Now we're going to sell it. And I think it has to be, uh, carefully positioned so that it doesn't just feel like it's a livestock auction or an estate sale, that it really is about the mission and kind of bringing it back to that. So, but you're right, it's effective. And if you've got that kind of a a soft, if you've already using that kind of a software, it's an easy way to take your items that maybe you've already procured and need a way to, to sell, to move it out to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So that is actually our six. (laughs) We've pulled it off. But Sherry, you've, you've been absolutely amazing. Is there any, any parting words you'd like to give to the fundraisers all around the world um, that are kind of going through this fundraising challenge right now? Yes. Here's what I want to say. Do not be afraid. And here's why. I think that the leadership that you show right now is going to carry you right through Corona. So you've got to be don't be afraid. Don't hide in the shadows, especially if you're if you're one of these charities who's kind of on the front lines of this right now. You're a hospital. You're working out in the social services. You're a food bank. Those are are easy understandings for people to understand how they're being hit hard in this uh, economy and with the virus. So now's your time to really shine. The the curtains have parted. The theater stage is yours. Step out there. Do a virtual event. There's not a lot of judgment right now. People are pretty good about letting small things slide. They understand that everybody's learning about this technology world together. So from that standpoint, it's not like you've got a lot of risk. So I think be big, be bold, and be a leader in your community. Love it. Well, for all of our listeners, um, Sherry is also going to actually be joining our new Facebook group, which is called Fun- Fundraising During COVID-19. And you'll see the Givigy logo. So the, the main aim is that you'll be able to keep the conversation going. But if you would like to also find out more about Sherry and Red Apple Auctions, head over to redappleauctions.com. You're going to find so many great tools there. 
And I would say it, Sherry is a serial blogger. <laughs> so there is lots of blog posts, lots of great video content, and she's literally giving so much advice. So it's brilliant. But we really hope you've enjoyed today's episode and found the content informative. And we would love to hear your thoughts. So please feel free to email podcast at gibbergy.com. And you can also make suggestions of future topics or any guests that you would like to hear on our show. So thank you again. And don't forget to hit subscribe or follow to listen and look out for our next episode. Mm-hmm.